Okay, let's start. So, uh, the, the par- in this week's parasha, we read the kind of, um, we read a story, is told about the death of Aaron Hakohen. Right, so you look at the Psukim, the beginning of the sheet. Kachet Aaron let Elazar In other words, there are very specific directions that are given about how Aaron Hakohen is to die. Right? So Moshe Rabbeinu takes Aaron Hakohen, he's going to take Aaron Hakohen and uh, Elazar Beno. And bring them up to a place that's called Hor Haha. Right? Which sounds like the mountain of the mountain. Um, which I guess means, as Chazal pointed out, something special about it. It was either a big mountain or it was especially a look mountain that looked in a certain way. But it was a very mountain. So it was noticed. Vavshated Aaron et Bigadav. And then you have to undress Aaron Hakoe. Vilbashtem et Elazar Bino. Vaaron ye a safe umechan. That's what that's what the Pasuk says. That that Aaron will get dressed. <coughs> Uh, he will leave his raiments, the raiments of the Kohen Gadol, and they will be transferred to Elazar Dino, such that there will always be a Kohen Gadol. Right? There will never be a hiatus in the Kohen Gadol, even though you know that halakhically this is problematic, because the Kohen Gadol didn't ever leave the Mikdash with his clothing. He always took off his clothes before he left. Okay, that's a, that's a kind of a problem that people uh, who think about things in a very special way, uh, you know, uh, have. But, but this is what the Pasuk says. We can't argue with the Pasuk. Vayas Moshe kasher tziva Hashem vayalu el kol And then it says that Moshe Rabbeinu did it they went up on the mountain, Leine Kol Ha'eda, which I guess means in full view, like everybody saw what they were doing, everybody knew what they were doing. Vayavshet Moshe Ta'aron Pekada, Vayaveshutam et Elazar Bino, Vayamot Aaron Sham Berosh Ahar, Vayeret Moshe Ve'elazar Min Ha'ar. Okay? I mean, it's a special kind of a death, but it doesn't seem to be problematic. A problematic in the sense that I, I understand what the Torah is saying. I understand what the Torah is saying. If you look at Rashi, Rashi adds a few, uh, a few points, which of course all come from Pazal. So Rashi says, In other words, say things to Aharon that will make him want to go with you even though usually people don't want to go to the place where they're going to die. But uh, you can make it palatable. How so? It's like Moshe Rabbeinu says to Aaron, everybody dies, but you're going to have the special benefit of seeing your son take your place. And I, Moshe Rabbeinu, 
I'm not going to have that benefit. My son is not going to take my place. So Aaron Akonin is going to be a little more anxious to go up on Or Hahan. Et begadavet bidekuna gidola. He'll be sheil if shitam me'alav letitam abeno befanav. In other words, he should see his son being clothed in the raiment of the Kohen Gadol. Emolo, he kadeis l'marav benichnas. He's amarlo. Go into the into the cave. He went in. Ramitam mitzad v'neir belek. He saw a bed that was made, prepared to sleep in, and a candle that was lit. Amalo, alayla mita. Moshe Rabbeinu said to Aaron, go and lie on the bed for Allah. Shot yadecha upashat, stretch out your arms, and he did so. Kamot spicha, the kamats, close your mouth. Atzomei nefa, close your eyes. Miyad chamad Moshe lota mita. Moshe Rabbeinu was anxious. He said, oh, if I could only die in this way. And that's why the Pasuk says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, that you're going to die like Aaron HaKalim. Which means, not that you're going to die like Aaron HaKalim, but you're going to die in the way you wanted to die. In the way you yearned to die. When did Moshe Rabbeinu yearn to die that way? When Moshe Rabbeinu put Aaron HaKohen to rest. So there's a story. And there's a little bit of tension in the story. And since, uh, since the Rashi has mentioned Moshe Rabbeinu, let's look at Moshe Rabbeinu. At the way Moshe Rabbeinu is reputed to die. On the second page, at the bottom of the page, Kvarim Perik Lamedale, Pasuk Vav. So the Pasuk says, Vayikubor Oto Begai, Be'eretz Moshe Rabbeinu was buried someplace, but who buried Moshe Rabbeinu? HaKadosh Baruch buried Moshe Rabbeinu. There was no Moshe Rabbeinu at the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. There was, no one, there was no one who served as Moshe Rabbeinu at the death of Aaron when Moshe Rabbeinu died. Moshe Rabbeinu was alone when he died. So the guy buried Moab, that's HaKadosh Baruch who buried him. V'lo yada ishet kvurato ad hayom hazeh. And then there's a special addition, addition with an A, right? Addition. That Moshe Rabbeinu died, and curiously, nobody knows... That the rule is that if you turn off your phone, nobody will actually call you. <coughs> but if you leave it open, then you can't tell. So, Moshe Rabbeinu, it's like interesting, Moshe Rabbeinu died, and he was buried, but no one knows, the Torah says no one knows where the burial place of Moshe Rabbeinu was. And, and I guess this is important. I guess it's important. But before we, we look into that idea a little bit more, let's just look at um, 
another another pasuk. On page three, the second source is Bamidbar Peretav Pasuk Pasuk Aleph. There's somebody else who dies. You know, the three great people die, and now we'll, we'll talk about Miriam for a moment. Miriam also died. They came to a place called Midbar Tzim, the Chodesh Rishon, Vayeshev Ha'am Bekadesh, Vatamot Sham Miriam, Vatikaver Shah. Miriam died in that place, and she was buried in that place. She was buried in that place. Velo hayamayim la'ida ve'ikalu al Moshe ve'la'aron. Rashi says about pasuk bed lo yamayim la'ida mikan shekol arbeim shana hayalem ha'be'er b'schut miriyam. Everybody knows the Chazal. The Chazal says from this pasuk, from the juxtaposition of sukim, you see that the be'er was a magical be'er. And the schut, the merit of Miriam, is what gave them the be'er, right? They had water. They had water. So we also know that Aaron, the schut of Aaron, gave, gave them the Aranea Kavot. And the schut of Moshe Rabbeinu gave them the man. So we know that these three uh, people, these three people seen in the eyes of Chazal, were critical in determining life itself in the desert. They were able to live because of Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. And as they came close to going into Eretz Yisrael, Miriam died, then Aaron died, then Moshe died, and with them actually died the life that they were living in the desert. And they weren't able any longer to function in that way. They weren't able to function in that way. But, but let me go back to the, this other uh, question. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, in the previous source that we looked at, it says, Lo yada ishet kvurato ad hayom hazeh. Lo yada ishet kvurato. In other words, even though we know the general, the general area that Moshe Rabbeinu died, like Vorotov, the guy behers what mu Let's look at Rashi. You see the Rashi on that pasuk? God buried Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu somehow buried himself. Et atzmo. Right, et, et atzmo. Kayotzibo, v'yom lod yeh in Israel, v'yotobo, maybe et atzmo. Right, this is kind of, sometimes he thinks that, that the verbs are reflexive, even though they don't, they're not actually reflexive. So, Moshe Rabbeinu's burial, according to Chazal, was a little strange. Either God buried Moshe Rabbeinu, or Moshe Rabbeinu buried himself. But we still don't understand what this business is, why it's so important for the Torah to mention Lo yada ish et kvurato ad Now this question of Lo yada ish et kvurato I will ask you What about Miriam? What about Miriam? What does it say in the Pasuk? Let's look again at the, at the Pasuk 
Miriam. Vayavu b'nei Yisrael kolayim David baratzim lechodesh rishon. Vayeshiv ha'am bekadesh. Vatamal sham Miriam vatikam hersham. So who buried Miriam? I mean, there's nothing. The chodesh doesn't say anything. But it doesn't seem like it was something extraordinary. Who buried Miriam? The Chaver Kedisha. The Chaver Kedisha. How many people usually go with the Chaver Kedisha to bury somebody? A minion. So that means that there were a minion of people who knew where Miriam was, where Miriam was buried. So they say, well, Miriam was not like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was buried, and who was there when Moshe Rabbeinu was buried? HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu. So after Moshe Rabbeinu was, was buried, there was no one who could come back and say, oh, it's over there. Right? If anybody's ever been in Beit Farod, Rahmanul Islam, but you go to a cemetery, you know that there's often difficulty in finding where it is you're going to. And even if you have a map and they have all these kind of arrows, somebody drew your arrows on the map, it's still not so easy to find the specific grave that you are looking for. Can you imagine looking for a grave and nobody was there at the time of the burial? I mean, impossible. It's impossible. You don't have anybody to tell you. So that, that's, uh, uh, that's the reverse side. Because on the one side, who buried Moshe Rabbeinu? No one we know. Because the, the Chazal say that it was either Akkadish Baruch who buried Moshe Rabbeinu, or Moshe Rabbeinu buried himself. In other words, there's no one to tell the story. No one to tell the story. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. What about Miriam? Miriam says, by there's no miracle. If she was buried, somebody buried her. And Miss there was a big funeral. I mean, after all, she was responsible for the Nebe, for the bear. I'm sure people came with Chmodabin. Afterwards, they all practiced, they all did Aveilut. But at that time, they buried her. Somebody buried her. People buried her. So they knew it. I mean, you could ask one of those people. The children in the next generation could say, where was Miriam buried? And somebody would be able to answer that question. So we have a distinction that's drawn between the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu, which was done anonymously almost. There's no one there who could trace it, who could witness it, who could say, I know where it was. And the burial of Miriam, whose burial was public and known to everybody. Now, if I would ask you, if I would ask you, well, what about Aaron? What about Aaron HaKohen, HaGadot? Do we know where he was buried, or don't we know where he was buried? I don't mean today, but I mean like the Torah. Does the Torah think we could know where he was buried, or does the Torah have a different position? So if you look at the Pasuk again, the first page, on the first page, So Ha'ar is a place, right? There's a place. But then we saw in the Medrash that said that there was a cave. So it means if you knew where Horahar was, and you went around looking for caves, and you'd find in the cave, you'd find a bed, and the bed was made with nice sheets and blankets, and you'd find a, a skeleton on the, on the bed. So you'd say, that's Horahar coming. That's what you would say. Horahar is the name of a place. And, and, and furthermore, the Pasuk says, if you look at Pasuk Kav Zayin, 
Le'enei kol ha'eda. Le'enei kol ha'eda. What does Le'enei kol ha'eda mean? That there were witnesses. Everybody was a witness. So in the next generation, if somebody would say, could you take me to the place that Aaron HaKohen was buried? So the stomach, there would be somebody who could do that. They could, they could take you to the place. In any event, the Torah certainly is not interested in us thinking that Aaron Cohen died anonymously. And nobody knows where he is buried. People know. It was Lainei Kol Haida. But then we find a curiosity in the Torah. Curiosity, I don't mean it's strange. I mean it's something that's noteworthy. Something that is noteworthy. <laughs> I see. Oh, I'm sorry, on page one. First on page one. Uh, no, no, first on page three. I mean, uh, uh, these things are organized so that I have to keep bringing out how to. Uh, present them. I guess it's more interesting. Here, at the end of the Sefer Bamidbar, the end of the Sefer, there's a recap that refers to the death of Aaron Hakohen. A re-statement. Uh, and that's on page 3 at the top. Perek Lamed Gimel, Pasuk Lamed And you know that these psukim are amongst the uh, least uh, um, dramatic and exciting Psukim in the Torah, so we often kind of turn off during Kriyasa Torah, we don't absorb it, but I want you to listen carefully to what it says by Yisumi Kadesh, that name of a place. Kadesh is a problematic name. There was a Kadesh here, there was a Kadesh in the north and in the south, and, and you know, that's a separate topic for those who like doing geography of Eretz Israel. By Yachanu Behor Hahar, Bikzei Eretz Edom. Right? This is the story. It's a recap of the story. They left Tadesh and they got to Horahar. Vayala Rona Kohen el Horahar, al pi Hashem, Vayamot Sham bishnat Arbein, the same today you saw Beretz of Shavu Chodesh Chavishi, Bechad Chodesh. Baron, Ben Shlosh Vesrim, Umat Shana Bimoto Behorahar. So in this Pasuk, you have the name Horahar mentioned, these two psukim mentioned twice. Now it is absolute certainty about the place that Aaron Cohen died. No question about it. Okay? And uh, Rashi adds, Rashi adds, uh, uh, he says, Al pi Hashem, Al pi Hashem, that it wasn't that he physically expired, that his heart stopped working, or the way people died, but Death came to him in this beautiful way, Alpini Shita, by God kissed Aaron Akov. And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu, that's how Moshe Rabbeinu also, also died. So we have a Pasuk in our parish in Matot, and we have two Psukim in Mas'eh, which state clearly that Aaron Hakohen died in Horhaha. Right? Two Psukim. Now, if you look, on the first page. Now we'll go back to the first page. And we see there's a Pasuk in Dvarim. Parajut Pasuk Vav, I think. 
Peregrine Pasukot, the Pasuk says this. Uvinei Yisrael nasku mi be'erot b'nei ya'atan Moseira. Now, that, it doesn't matter. Beirot b'nei ya'atan is a place. It's a place which apparently had a lot of uh, springs in it, or wells, that's what it has that name. B'nei ya'atan, I don't know who they are. But, you know, there's somebody, some group, and they went to Moseira. Sham mate Aharon vayikaver sham vayichahed Elazar b'no tachtav. No. So what do you say? You say you should say, huh? You know something similar. How could it be that the Torah has already told us three times? I mean, if you add that, three times the Torah told us that Aharon Akoy married Dayan. So how come here he's dying in Moseira? It's an annoyance. It's an annoyance. So there are several ways to deal with this annoyance. Or several ways that the Mephoshim deal with the, with the annoyance. First there's a Gemara in the Yushalmi Yuma. Then there's a Ibn Ezra. And then there's the Rabban. Right? Basically the Gemara in, in uh, the Gemara in uh, in Yuma, the Gemara in Yuma have if you've never seen this book, I find it very handy. This is a book which quotes the sources of Rashi extensively. Instead of just giving the reference, it actually usually quotes the reference. It was written by a man named Gelbart who I understand actually worked for all of you, which is a frightening thought. I mean, he's a person who, he worked. So he, his son is named Gilad, who's the, he's the rabbi in La Vie. Like, you know. And he's also Rabbi Mital's son-in-law. I don't know what the order on his CV is. <laughs> And he was also a Haver Knesset. I guess that goes to the bottom <laughs> of the list. But he's a fine, a fine fellow. He spent a couple of years in England, actually, Rav Gilad. And uh, this is his father. His father, who I guess came from the old world, so he thought that being called Gelbart was not such a bad thing. But the son made a tikkun, you know, and he turned himself into Gilad. So this book is very good. I, I like it. I li- it's like, you know, because it, it just, you don't have to look it up all the time. He generally quotes the reference, you know, and then he like asks a little question about it. Very nice. It's a very, it's really a very nice book. It's, if somebody would have put it out better in a more um, usable form, these books, it would have been like Kahati. It would have sold a million. But it was put out in a less than very user-friendly kind of way, so I don't think it made the Kahati level. But in any event, he quotes this, he quotes this Yushalmi in Yuma, Perak Aleph, Aloha Aleph, in which, uh, uh, basically, uh, the Yushalmi tries, uh, the Yushalmi tries to put everything together and say that, you know, and that Rashi takes this Yushalmi and Rashi says, and Rashi says that uh, uh, these are really the same places. 
But they're talking about different places. We're talking about the same place. It is like an attempt uh, uh, to explain. So I, I just want all of these things are quoted also in the Rambam. If you look at the second page, let's look at the Rambam. So the Rambam asks the question, he really is quoting Rashi. Right, so I'm not looking, I didn't quote the Rashi, but we'll look at it in the Rambam. So the Rambam says, B'nei Yisrael, Nasubi, Beirot, B'nei Yachon, That's the Pesach in the Vorim. Ma'anyan Zelikad. So this is a different question. So what, what, what are we talking about? It's the opposite. If you look in Bamidbar, in Mas'ei, you'll see that Moseirah, from Moseirah they went to B'nei Ya'akan. Of course, that's assuming that B'nei Ya'akan and Be'erot B'nei Ya'akan are the same place. If the question breeds an assumption, I know that this is going to be a little bit uh, annoying because you know uh, it's hard to follow the details if you're not if you're not into it. But I just want to do it a little bit, and, and you go over the Ramban. Shabbos, you know, very long Shabbos, and you can go over the Ramban. He says, "V'od shomei Haron This is what I'm quoting Rashi. Haron died there. Hello, her harmet. He says. So, so there's this kind of complicated, this kind of complicated answer. Where in Mas'e, the, the, uh, uh, the Mas'ot are told A to B to C to D the way it should have been. But it doesn't tell us in Mas'e that there was a deviation. That they went from A to B to C, and then instead of going to D, they went back to B. That's what, that's what the Gemara says. And since they went back to B, so you could have backwards. You could have, instead of going from B to C to D, they went from B to C, from C to B. So in Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about the bad things that B'nai Israel did. You remember the book of Dvarim? Not Bamidbar, but the book of Dvarim is about Kochachot. It's about all the bad things that, or some of them, some of the bad things that B'nai Israel did. So one of the bad things that B'nai Israel did was that they went from C to B, where they should have gone from C to D. Right in the story that's not told at the end of Bamidbar about how the Masaot, the trips that the Nei Israel made, were from A to B C D to D to E, right? Fourteen Masaot. There was internally they were a little bit more than fourteen, but they were generated by the fact that the Nei Israel didn't always want to go in the right direction. Right? You know the Jews. You look around, you see who's going the wrong way, and you know that it's one of the Jewish kids. So that the, the Jews in the desert also didn't want to go the right way. And so they, they went back. So here when Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean this is the idea of the Peirush, when Moshe Rabbeinu in Tvarim talks to B'nai Yisrael and about how, how their history developed in the Midbar, so what is he trying to say to them? He's saying, listen, you know, things were not always good. That's Muslim. That's called Muslim. Things were not always so good. So you have to remember that even though you had food to eat and you had water to drink and everything was that God was leading you, but somehow it wasn't enough for you. You were you're always messing up things. And you're always going off in the wrong direction. So since that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about, it makes sense that Moshe Rabbeinu would tell B'nai Yisrael about the time that they went backwards. Right? So you see that the, the Rashi said that, that in fact they went from Moshe Rabbeinu to B'nai Yaakam. 
So Moshe Rabbeinu says, yeah, they did. But then they went from B'nai Yatan back to Moshe Ra. And that was a bad thing. That was a bad thing. And then in that, going from Moshe Ra to B'nai Yatan is the death of, of Aaron Akon. And then there are different uh, ways of explaining why it says in the Torah that they died in Mo, that he died in Moserah, when we know very well that he died in Horahar. So the ways of explaining it are Horahar is, is a particular mountain, and Moserah is a big place, or uh, as the Ramban uh, will explain it, they'll say that really he died in Horahar, but the Abelut that B'nai Yisrael practiced for Moshe Rabbeinu for Aaron Akon was in Moserah because when he died they didn't know he was dying and the Medrash says the Medrash says just a second the Medrash says if you look at page one the Medrash from Bamidvar Rabba the Medrash when Moshe and Elazar, remember they're the ones who went up with Aaron up on the mountain. So when they came down from the mountain, they tapsu kol kahala lehem v'amulahem echanaharon. But he got lost. They didn't know that he was going to die. Even though they saw that Elazar was wearing Aaron's clothing, Heya, he says, Amrulahem mate. So they said to him, he died. Amru. And this is also in Rashi. But this is, we're reading it in the Medrash. Amru. Heyach malacha mavet yecholot korabo. He says, what do you mean? you mean that the angel of death came and, and took away Aaron the Kohen? It's not possible. Adam shamad b'malacha mavet v'atzaro. After all, we know the pasuk says, "Vayamod ben abeitim ve'rechayim." That that Aaron Hakohen stopped the magifah and the parsha Korah. Vayamdu ben abeitim u've'rechayim. He stood between. In other words, the the malacha mavet couldn't pass Aaron Hakohen. So how could the malacha mavet come and kill Aaron Hakohen? That's the question. Imagine the Bedrash says this, that the people said to Moshe Rabbeinu and Elazar, they said, either you bring Aaron going back, or we're going to kill you. We will stone you on the spot. That's how they felt about Aaron Akoi. Amad Moshe so please God uh, protect us that they shouldn't suspect us of killing Moshe Rabbeinu so miraculously the Aron bed that Aron Cohen was on was taken out of the cave and everybody's able to see that Aaron Akohen died, and they knew that this was the will of God. Because the miracle was clearly the will of the will of God. So the Ramban says that even though Aaron Hakohen died in Horahar, the Avelut for Aaron Hakohen 
the, the public uh, mourning for Aramakoi took place at a later time when they got to Moseira. And therefore, in the memory, in the memory bank of B'nai Yisrael, right, according to the Jewish, where did Aaron HaKohen die? Where did Aaron HaKohen die? Well, either he died in Horaka, or he died in Moserah. Or another way of saying it is, when the children would ask their parents in Eretz Yisrael, where did Aaron HaKohen die? Some would say, Horahar, and some would say, Moserah. And since we all agree that Horahar and Moserah are not exactly the same, even though the Ibn Ezra says that, uh, that they're kind of, one is the smaller and the other is the, big, the bigger, so uh, it's like the same, even though we know that to be true. But if I would go back to the question I asked before, when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, we, we know that nobody knew when Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. When it comes to Miriam, we assume that they knew exactly where she was buried. When it comes to Aaron Akoi, we thought that of course they knew where he was buried. He was married in Horahar. But now I suspect that we're not so sure. Because if the traditions are contrary, even if I have some way of saying pshat, nevertheless it's no longer perfectly clear where it was that Aaron Hakohe died. And so you see that the Torah is interested in us placing the death of Aaron Hakohe in the same category as the death of Moshe Rabbeinu and not in the category of uh, Miriam Hanaviyah. And the question is, what is this? What is this business of not knowing where somebody died? So I think of the death of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu says, if you look at page 3, Vayikrivu yimei Yisrael lamut. Vayikrivu yimei Yisrael lamut vayikrivu noli yosef so Yisrael, Yaakov, realized he was going to die. He calls his son. He calls his son Yosef. And Rashi says, He called his son because his son reigned in Mitzray. He was the powerful person in Mitzray. Yaakov Avinu doesn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim. So, at first blush, maybe we would say, good, I understand, I'd mean, rather be buried in the Maratha Machpelah. On the other hand, we don't know what the rush was. After all, Yosef also wanted to be buried in Eretz Israel, But he was willing to wait until he see at Mitzrayim. And he said, when, when you go to Eretz Israel, make sure to take me along. That's what Yosef said, and they did that. They took Yosef. Yaakov Avinu would have said, 
Well, you see how the tribe, Eretz Yisrael, take me along. There's no doubt that they would have taken him along. So that this becomes problematic. But why did Yaakov Avinu want to be buried in Eretz Yisrael now? When there was no one, there were no Jews in Eretz Yisrael, except for a few dead ones. Right? Only the Jews in the Maratha Machpelah. What the inhabitants, the Jewish inhabitants of Eretz Canaan. Everybody else was in the tribe. And yet Yaakov Avinu wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And even though to us it seems like a really, a, like a great thing to do to be buried in Eretz Yisrael, I think. But, but, that's after there's Eretz Yisrael, after the conquest, the Yoshua, the settling of the land, then it's Eretz Yisrael. Just to go to be buried, but there isn't a single person who is Jewish in Eretz Yisrael. I mean, what is that going to do? But that's what he says, I'll not take Bereni b'mitzrayim. I'll not take Bereni b'mitzrayim. Pasuk Lamed, v'shachavti mavatai, v'nesatani b'mitzrayim, v'atani b'kvuratam, v'yomar, anochi e'eseh kidvarecha. It doesn't indicate that he knew he, Moshe, uh, Yosef, knew exactly what Yaakov was talking about. But he was willing to accept this obligation. If that's what you want, you know, like you have an old father, and he says, like he's saying all kinds of wacko things. So he says, okay, that's what you want. Well, we'll do that. We'll do that. But that because it made sense. It didn't make sense. And Rashi, we all know the Rashi, and Rashi says... You see, So Rashi is trying to figure out what, what, what's bothering Yaakov Avinu here. Adarabha, you would think that if he would say to Yosef, listen, promise that you're going to bring me to Eretz Kenan when you leave Mitzrayim. That would be great to be a further impetus and a challenge and I'd do the Tiat and try him and everybody would know that. This looks like Yaakov Avinu says, he says, look, I want to be buried in Eretz Israel. I'm not sure what's going to happen to you guys. So maybe you should just bury me now and then you'll work it out on your own somehow. But look what Rashi says. So valiyot afra kinin. That the afar, the dirt of Eretz Mitzrayim is a turn into a bunch of Lice. Doesn't sound good, does it? He says, I don't want to be, like Yaakov, he says, what, I want to be buried in this miserable place? I mean, they haven't even that neat, clean earth here. The whole thing is going to turn into like a zoo of lice. One argument, Rachashin Tapat Gufi, and they're all going to run around under my body. Vishayin Metei Hutzela Aretz Chayim, Ela Fitzar. Gilgul Mechilot. Who knows what that means? But when you learn this fossil, you'll try to figure out Gilgul Mechilot. Mechilot are, are tunnels. Like, you know, in Chutzelaharetz, people are buried in Chutzelaharetz, they never have peace. They never have quiet. Their bodies are always rolling around and they're going from one place to another. And it's, it's awful. I mean, it's what Yaakov said. Nothing positive. That's a bit of, not a positive statement about going to Eretz Israel. It's not that Yaakov says, I want to go to Eretz Israel. He said, I don't want to be buried in Israel. What a miserable place this is. And the third reason that Rashi gives is, Shalom Yasuni Mitzrim Avodah Zarah. Can you imagine that? 
There was the Mitzvah going to say, oh, there was once this guy called Yaakov Avinu, uh, Yaakov, uh, the Jewish Avinu, you know, and, and, and he, uh, he was an operator, and he got all his children here, and they got, uh, Yosef was a judge, a lot of money, and they gave him covered. Maybe we should uh, make him into a little god, right? And Yaakov Avinu didn't want that. So he said to Yosef, get me out of here. Get me out of here. So you see that, that there was this, this idea, this idea that, that if Yaakov Avinu would be buried in Eretz Mitzrayim, it would be bad from in different respects, which we'll come back to. But buried in Maratha Machpelah, he doesn't have to worry about any of those, any of those problems. Yeah. Okay, so what, what is that? No, there's no doubt that you're right, that that's what it says. He says, Shechavti Shechavti which could be just locating a place, the Maraka Machpelah. So I would, I was, I think this. This is what I, this is what I, 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 I'm thinking about. He says, you know, we said that Moshe and Aaron and Miriam were responsible for life in the desert. The life they led in the desert was a function of the grace that was given them through Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Moshe the man, Aaron the Ananea Tavo that protected them from physical danger, and Miriam the Be'er. Now there's a difference between two of these things and the third. They're not all the same. On the one hand, I would say, there's the Be'er. There's the well, Miriam's well. And on the other hand, there's Moshe and Aaron, the man, and the Ananei HaKavot. They're not the same. How are they not the same? Well, the Be'er is going to disappear. The ease that B'nai Israel had in getting the water in the desert, that's going to disappear. But the need for water is not going to disappear. In other words, the fact that Miriam died and the fact that the well disappeared doesn't mean that they didn't have water. I mean, they couldn't live without water. So wherever they went, they had to have water. So that the Be'er of Miriam, the existence of the Be'er, or the lack of existence of the Be'er, did not really indicate a change in the lifestyle that B'nai Yisrael lived, because you can't live without water. So it's true that when they had the water, they didn't have to look for it in the desert, but now that they're going into Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael doesn't have as much water as some other places in the world, but Eretz Yisrael has water. If you take care of it, and if you collect it properly, and if you use it uh, uh, sparingly, you have enough water in Eretz Yisrael to meet your needs. Right? To meet your needs. Even, you know, since I've come to Eretz Yisrael, since I come to Eretz Yisrael, a long time, there's the annual panic 
about water. Annual. Annual. I remember for many years they had this on the, you know, on the radio and they had this ad of a, a leaky faucet. Plop, plop, plop. And they would keep telling you to go look at your faucets. So that if it's plop plopping, you should turn it tighter and save the water. This happens all the time. And in spite of that, in spite of that, this 40-year effort to reduce a panic, there's always been more than enough water. I don't know where the red line on the Kinneret is, but wherever it is, it doesn't seem to make any difference because the number of people keeps going up and they all drink water. So that the air of Miriam did not indicate, did not indicate a change in your life. It wasn't that God said, no more bear, no more water. There's no more bear, but you go to Eretz Yisrael and you have water. There'll be water out today. Also there's going to be water, right? Even the days that are going to pass and I vote more out, waiting until you go to Eretz Yisrael, there's got to be water. You can't live without water. So there'll be water. When it comes to, when it comes to the grace that derived from the existence of Aaron Cohen and Moshe Rabbein, that's different. When you say, up to now you have the and now you're not going to have them anymore. That meant, up to now, you were protected from any sort of physical danger. That ended. Life has changed. You have to move on to Eretz Yisrael where there are real dangers that come from real wars and real events that are beyond our perfect control. Moshe Rabbeinu, the man, we know that the man was entirely represented a miraculous physical world. It was always there. You didn't have to go and get it. It contradicted, it contradicted, listen carefully, the klala that HaKadosh Baruch gave to Adam HaRishon when he was kicked out of Gan Eden. Right? apecha tochal lecha. In, with the man, they were living in Gan Eden. Well, not exactly Gan Eden, because in Gan Eden it was all on the trees. All you had to do was pluck it off the tree and eat it. Like you pluck off a, a pastrami sandwich. There was a pastrami sandwich tree in Gan Eden. And then there was a, like a, like a, a watermelon tree. You got slices. You didn't, have, you didn't come on watermelons. Just get slices. If you want pitless watermelons, you mentioned that? What was that pitless watermelon? That was God Eden. That was God Eden. So what's man? What is the man? The man is God Eden. The man is God Eden much. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the day Yisrael, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die, that's it. The man store is closing. So that meant that the world was changing. That in the desert, even though on the one hand there was a punishment for the day Yisrael, what happened to them in the Chaita Egel, etc., 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 in fact, they were living, this is what the Gemara Numa says, the fact they were living in Ganeidah, 
Remember in Gan Eden, because Gan Eden is a place where you don't have to work to support yourself. Everybody is supported by HaKadosh Baruch. That's Gan Eden. When you get kicked out of Gan Eden and you go into that other world, Zayat Apecha Tolcha Recha. Those are the two worlds. So when Moshe Rabbeinu died and the man disappeared, everybody understood that the time to go to Eretz Yisrael had come. And incidentally, we can answer the question about why B'nai Yisrael was so, found it so difficult to go to Eretz Yisrael. Because we always would think, uh, what's so difficult? Why should we want to go from the desert to Eretz Yisrael? Oh yeah, desert. But not from Gan Eden to Eretz Yisrael. That's a little bit different. So now look. So I said, what did they Yisrael think of their history? When they think of, of how it used to be. Well, I mean, I could imagine that they'd like to have the mind. I imagine that. I imagine that they'd like to have the Anane Hakova. And so, what would they do? What would the Jews being Jews do? What would the Jews being people do? Well, they might go back to the Kever of that person who was responsible for the man. And Daven for the man. Daven for that world that was represented by, uh, by Rosh Rabbeinu. So what did the terrorists say? What did the terrorists say? The terrorist says, no. No one knows where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. And the reason that no one knows where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried was that no one should go back to the grave and to ask Moshe Rabbeinu to reconstitute the world that he was responsible for. When it comes to Miriam and Aviyah, well, that's not such a problem. It wasn't a problem because they had water. They're not going to go back and ask Miriam and Aviyah like one we like to have a bear. They have a bear. It's called the faucet. You open the faucet. It's only because they were in the desert that they needed the bear. When they got to Eretz Israel, they didn't need the bear anymore. There was no need for that bear. Now, what about Aaron Akoi? Aaron Akoi. Aaron Akoi, you see, on the one hand, on the one hand, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu. On the one hand, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't know where he died. Because he died in Horhar, and he died in Moshe And you know that when you, there are two places that a person died in, we just don't know where he died. On the other hand, why couldn't the Torah have said the same thing by Aaron Akoi? Why couldn't the Torah say that Aaron Akoi, we don't know where he died, and we protect ourselves in that way? The answer must be that B'nai Yisrael was supposed to see the transfer of the authority from Aaron Akoi to Elazar Bino. Because that was in fact the difference between the leadership that Moshe Rabbeinu had and the leadership of Aaron Hakob. So that on the one hand it was very important that everybody should know what was happening and where it was. And that's what the Medrash says. That B'nai Yisrael said to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, hey, you killed him, we're going to kill you. And then Moshe B'nai Yisrael saw that Aaron Hakob had died at the hand of God 
and that Elazar had become his uh, uh, continued his uh, his tradition. So Miriam was not going to become the center of a new ideology, and uh, and uh, Moshe and Aaron, Bnei Yisrael, had to be protected from going back to the grave and saying what exactly is going on. And so you see Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, he had this problem. He didn't want the Jews to think that they could have spiritual solace in Eretz Mitzrayim. And he was worried which doesn't mean that the Egyptians are going to make him into an Avodah The Egyptians, thank God, they had plenty of Avodah on their own. But Yahweh Avinu was afraid that the Jews in servitude, in the miserable situation that they found themselves, that those Jews would go to the grave of Yaakov Avinu as people are wont to do and say, can't you help us here? Can't you make life better for us here? And they would turn him into the idolatry of the diaspora. Diaspora meaning, the diaspora meaning Eretz Mitzrayim. So you see, that you see, that there is a great advantage to knowing where the grave is. But sometimes there may be a disadvantage because the distance between davening at the grave of a righteous person and turning that into a quasi-idolatrous activity that distance may not be so great. And especially if Moshe Rabbeinu represents to me the life of Ganeide, man, wondrous life, wouldn't I go to Moshe Rabbeinu if I could and ask for just a little bit of man? And if Aram HaKohan represents to me the protection of the Anani HaKohan, physical, visual, visceral protection of Amisha, wouldn't I go to Aaron Akon and pray for that kind of protection again? And isn't there a danger that that would take me away from the goal that was designated for us by Kodesh Baruch for turning Eretz Yisrael into the land that works according to the Torah? And so we see that Yaakov Avinu may have also had that kind of concern that difficulty. So I don't want to be buried here in Mitzrayim. Not because I'm worried that you wouldn't take me out of Mitzrayim when you leave, but because I might become a negative factor in the process. Instead of B'nai Yisrael yearning for Eretz Yisrael, they may decide, based on the fact that Yaakov was buried there in Mitzrayim, that you could make it in Mitzrayim as well. And you know that in modern times, there is this issue. There is an issue. Uh, uh, should you move the bodies to Eretz Yisrael? But so I, once I thought this it was a simple thing. Of course you should move the bodies to Eretz Yisrael. 
But then I hear that there's a fight amongst Bratzlok uh, Chasidim and quasi brussels I won't tell you which team is real and which is quasi because each of them say the other. So one team says, let's take the bones or the kever of Rav Nachman and bring it to Eretz Yisrael. And the other one says, no, Rav Nachman wants us to go every year and leave Eretz Yisrael to be at his kever. So you see, without making judgments, just bringing an example. So you see that odd things happen. Odd things happen. Sometimes, somehow, it's become like we've convinced ourselves, or some people have convinced themselves, that you can only go to the kever of Nachman Bratzov if it's in Uman. You know, Uman? Who wants to go to Uman? Nobody. Uh, 30,000 people last year, 50,000 people this year. Who knows? Who knows? But the fact that it's someplace and not an Eretz Yisrael, doesn't bother them. So this is dangerous. You see that even if we're not being promised Anani Akovo, and we're not being promised the man, and still everybody was, everybody's going, everybody's going to Oman. Of course, what you are promised is not bad. You know, it's, it's just that it's not a national promise. It's more like an individual, more like an individual promise. So that burial became an issue. Was it an issue in the Torah? And that issue is played out for Yaakov Avinu, then Miriam Anavio, then Aaron Akoi, and finally by Moshe Rabbeinu. Have a good chance.